Welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast series. This series is brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and is hosted by myself, Jennifer Sproul, Dominic Walters and Catherine Barnard. How we work is in the early stages of profound transformation. Over the next decade, the entire nature of how we work will change. Technology, evolving socio-cultural attitudes and behaviours, globalisation, climate change, and these are just some of the trends impacting the way we work in the 2020s. While many aspects of work will change in the coming years, some things remain constant. One of those is the role communication plays in our ability to create understanding, meaning, and enable people to perform at their best, both individually and collectively. How we communicate sits at the heart of organisational success. World-class communication transforms working lives by helping people feel informed, connected and purposeful. When we feel seen and heard, we feel our contribution matters. With change as the new normal, the work of the internal communication profession has never been more important. And in this podcast series, we explore the changing world of work to identify the opportunities for the internal communication profession. We believe that a better understanding of the future of work will help us deliver better communication strategies for our organisations. And when we better serve our organisations, by default, we future-proof our careers. We hope you find this podcast series thought-provoking and encourages you to really see the opportunities that lie ahead as the world of work continues to change. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Future of Internal Communication podcast series. And in this episode today, we're going to be talking about the past, the present, and the future of internal communication. As always, you're joined by our regular hosts, myself, Jen Sproul, Don Walters, and Kat Barnard. And today, we're thrilled to have our guest, as Bill Quirk, um, joining us to talk about what we can learn from the past. Are we still in the present? And um, can we take any of that forward to the future? So, Bill, thank you so much um, for giving up your time today. And just to sort of kick us off, I think, and, and give us that set of scene. You know, as I said, you're known as the godfather of internal communication. You've authored Making the Connections, I think, which for a lot of people really put IC on the map. We still use it at IOIC a lot in terms of training material through all of our qualification programs. So, from your point of view, can you just tell us a little bit about your career, yourself, and, and kind of how internal communication as a profession, I guess, came your area to godfather, if you like? Yeah. The, uh, well, ironically, uh, 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 my mother did not raise me to be in internal communication. Uh, like many of us, I, I rather fell into it. Uh, I, I had been doing work in the States. Uh, I, one of my first jobs was selling sales training. And if you can't sell that, you know, it just demonstrates it's no good. I did lots of work on customer service uh, first. So the, the background was really with companies saying, here's our strategy. We want to create a competitive differentiation through customer service. How do we get our people to behave in the right ways? And can you train them to do it? So when I, 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 I was headhunted to Bursa Marstella, uh, and it, it was at the end of the 80s, and, and all the way through the 80s, there was the big human potential movement. So I worked with lots of Californians in the States, and in our firm belief and value was that people had so much to give if it could just be unleashed. You know, Volvo was starting to make um, cars in teams, and the Swedish idea was very much about customer service and about contribution. So we were really going into, right, how do we unleash the human potential for, you know, contribution inside organizations to be more successful? 
and so when I started work at, at uh, Burst Marstella, our first problem was, how do we describe this thing? You know, we're very passionate about it, and we're wide-eyed and, and uh, I think, slightly naive about it. How do we describe it? And so Burst Marstella described it as internal PR. And we rapidly discovered that it all depended on your perception of the thing you would describe it in terms of. So if, if your view of PR was, you know, it's all misleading. Basically, internal communication was lying to your people more slickly. Then we said, no, well, really, it's like internal marketing, uh, which caused a lot of the R&D people's heads to explode because they thought that was all smoke and mirrors. So we, all, we, we constantly had the problem of how do you define what we do, which is what led me to start talking about. It's really about delivering your strategy through your people uh, you know, and, and looking for success that way. Um, and having worked with you know, a lot of organizations and found myself in boardrooms with a flip chart arguing uh, where I'd say, here's what we should do. And fair enough, the Glaswegian finance director would say, how do you know? How can you explain it? That's what gave rise to all the diagrams, the communication escalator, you know, the, all, the, all the stuff we put in the book. And the book was really designed for internal communicators to um, – photocopy pages, highline them, take them into their boss and see, see, I've been telling you this for years. This guy is kind of is just repeating it in a book. And so what I was trying to do was provide some lenses through which people could look at a pretty complex um, set of situations and be able to explain it to people who did not share their value systems. That's incredibly important because I ran into a brick wall when I started speaking like a Californian about the, you know, the potential of people and my Glaswegian finance director would look me in the face and say, you know, I don't particularly like people and I'm trying to screw more work out of them. How can you help? Uh, and that brought to the, the book. And I'm delighted that you're still using the book and I would encourage you to keep buying lots of copies of it. Uh, uh, as we approach the end of the pandemic, small gifts to each other. <laughs> you know, the Christmas is coming. This is the perfect gift. <laughs> I can feel a promo coming on here, Bill. I can feel some kind of uh, joint activity we could do on this. That's <laughs> Bill, looking back over the, over the last number of years about the profession, there'll be people listening to this who are at different stages in their career, different lengths of experience of internal communication. So it'd be great for, for you if you could give us a bit of context and uh, identify some of the key changes you've seen in internal communication as a profession over, over the last few years. Yeah, because I think it has changed very dramatically. So if I go back to the early days when you were just preaching in the wilderness, going to conferences saying, this is an area you should be looking at, uh, it, it pretty quickly shifted to people saying, yeah, 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 we understand. How do you do it? And the, the, if, what, the shock for me, I think, was we looked at it in a kind of one-dimensional way, which is all about human and people and their human potential. And a lot of change happened, which is the, the, um, the law of unintended consequences. We thought that we could take um, top-down organizations who are doing command and control, who are pretty secure in their markets, and against that background could, could treat their people better and engage them. What we didn't spot were all the other trends going on. Um, so we didn't spot the, 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 the shift in technology. 
which not only gave you loads of communication channels, but started changing dramatically how people dealt with each other. And I'm sure we'll come back to the, the, the fact that you could then outsource work, you could offshore the work. And it, there was a big shift in, as, as I'm going to use my caricature Glaswegian finance director. So while I was talking about human potential, he was thinking, hang on a minute, that, that's an end to loyalty. We do not need to promise lifetime uh, jobs to people. We can tupy people out. We can outsource them. We can offshore the call center to China. And we can turn the milkman into a franchisee. So the whole shift about we can you know, put our employees on bikes and have them delivering food at night. The, 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 the relationship between the employer and the employee shifted dramatically. And, and I think will we'll continue to shift. So I think the trends we spotted then, I think, are still working now. Uh, we had a big issue about structure, which is, you know, are we going to be global? Uh, are, uh, how do we become regional? How do we have global teams collaborating across different cultures and different languages? You know, we, we have to try and work out how would that happen? Um, how are we going to demerge? What happens if we take people from the call center and tupy them to a different organization, yet they're still sitting there with their old mates. Uh, so that, that trend. I think the other big shift we had was values. Companies start saying, hang on, we can't tell people what to do, but to ensure that we've got some shared exoskeleton, you know, we'll use values and we'll tell people what it is we value, uh, you know, even though they're roughly the same set of values. Um, and I think now we're seeing the opposite. We're seeing organizations being pushed back by the values of their people saying, you know, hell no, we won't do this. I think that has really shifted dramatically. So trying to understand the difference, the issue about values, dilemmas, which is we've all got values, but we're trying to make, we're trying to make trade-offs between priorities and choices we have to make. And I think the other big shift was leadership. You know, in, in, at the end of the 80s, you know, it, was, it was big shoulder pads, and, uh, and a big expense account. And, and then certainly in the last 20 years, the definition of a leader has exploded. You're, supposed, you're basically supposed to be St. Francis, but with a very good P&L. The, um, you, you're supposed to be charismatic. You're supposed to have values. You're supposed to be authentic. You know, so the idea, you know, you can, most leaders we dealt with, you can see are terrified of all these things we're supposed to be. But that's true of organizations now, which is it used to be you could knock out a reasonable product or a service. Now you have to be supportive of social justice. You have to be working for you know, con contributing to sustainability. You have to be uh, you know, absolutely uh, innocent and blameless all along your supply chain, all of whom have to share uh, your values. So in the 80s, when customer service happened, there's a shift basically from uh, employees selling their muscles, you pull a lever, you produce a widget, to an emotional labor, which was you care about what you do. Then there's a shift to intellectual labor, knowledge management, what do you know, how do we make value out of that? And I think we're shifting to spiritual labor, which is, hang on, you have to care, you have to have a great sense of ethics and values, and you have to speak up uh, if we're not achieving them as an organization for, you know, for sustainability and social justice. And I think that those shifts, so expectations of organizations are much greater. I mean, you are so, your reputation is so vulnerable. It has so, your, the expectations are so high. You're so, you're so much on a pedestal. True for individuals. Now they're expected to be, you know, act as though they're in a startup, 
even if they're you know serving coffee and only getting paid for the hours the customers in the in the shop so the expectations of the individual i think have increased dramatically therefore i think my argument about what have i learned is life has become much more demanding and complex much more than it was for me at the outset where i was simply going around preaching now you've got uh, internal communicators who've not only got to do the job well they've got to understand how all these new factors are interacting and and what are the implications for for the people they've got you know are, are these employees are they team members are they associates are they partners what is the relationship between the two so you know that's that's a, a long that's a long answer to a short question Well, can I come back to one particular point, and I'll, I'll pass over to Kat, but um, you mentioned about leaders being like St. Francis with a good P&L. They need to be spiritual leaders in some ways, with a small S, I guess. That would scare many leaders and probably scare a lot of internal communicators who need to help them do it. So what are some of the techniques they can use, the approaches they can use, internal communicators, to help leaders assume that more spiritual role? But, it, but, but if you, you say the, the key word you often hear in leadership now is authenticity. So uh, as we've discovered, if you talk to leaders, they've really been sold this wrong image of leadership, which is, you know, they all have to be charismatic and engaging. They all have to stand up and command, you know, a, a stadium full of worshippers. And that's most leaders are functional introverts. They've been promoted because they're technically good. They've not necessarily been good with people. And the ones who want to get promoted on the leadership team to make CEO are very focused on raising their communication ability, their ability to engage with people, and their ability to you know, get their message across. So I, I think there's an appetite or, or an awareness of vulnerability amongst leaders that they don't have to fit a particular mold. You know, communicators are really about trying to find out what is working for you. So, you know, the, the, the killer lesson I learned from managers is they would say, oh, you know, you've been brought in here to train me to communicate in inverted commas. And you think, yeah, yeah, but you're quite able to talk to people. You're quite able to hang out in the bar or the tea room. All trying to work out is what it spark, what's your spark and how do we best fan that into flame? So I, I think a real opportunity for communicators is identifying style, identifying the other areas you need to get good at, to become a more rounded leader and to help identify what the coach, here's what, how you can present yourself. And the other bit is, and feedback how that's going down. So we, we do know of the example of the leader who went to Japan and uh, stood up in front of the Japanese employees and tore up the rule book and said, we're tearing up the rule book, which would be a very American thing to do. And the Japanese were horrified because the rule book you know, is what they clung to. So I think understanding not just your style, not just what else you have to round yourself out with, but how that's going to go down with different audiences who themselves have different styles. So we, do, we don't need canonization or crucifixion just yet. I think it is fascinating. And I think the point about evolving leadership is really interesting because it makes me wonder do is do you, to what extent do you feel that these senior stakeholders really uh, understand what internal communication is there to do and what it what its potential is in terms of serving the organization do you think there's a clear view on that or do you think that's horses for courses 
I don't, I don't think there's a clear view amongst internal communicators. That there's certainly not a clear view amongst stakeholders, and that's for a number of reasons. I think yeah. even even if you gave an individual, you know, functional leader, here's what we do, they would still say, yeah, but here's what I want you to do. So the the you know, we've done lots of reviews of internal communication functions, and you get this comedy of errors where one leader is saying, I need a guide through the pitfalls of culture change, but I've got someone who wants to do posters. And someone who says, I want posters, but I've got a would-be consultant who keeps talking about change theory all the time. So th there is a kind of mismatch going on. But a lot of that is driven by uh, personalities. So you often get you know, HR and communication people saying we need we need to engage people and make them more enthusiastic. Uh, the uh, I don't know, logistics people saying we just need to wake these people up and we show them, you know, wake up and smell the coffee and realize there's a road, a, a tough road ahead. So I think different personalities of leaders skews how they see what they want. And that's true of communicators. I mean, we've trained a lot of communicators and you can often see their value system, which is, Here's what I think I'm here for. And I say that as someone who was skewered by a client. When I said, you know, I want to engage people and realize their full potential. And she said, basically, you want to make yourself feel better on our money. You know, we're going to pay for all this. And I thought I was really shocked because she was right. Wow. So I had to think, That's wow, harsh. hang on a second. Yeah, it was harsh. <laughs> it wasn't the last harsh thing I'd heard. But it was a, a wake-up for me. Because you start saying, hang on a second, what are, they, what are they looking for? What do they they want communication to do? So, you know, I'm trying to make people excited and enthused and engaged. That's my value system. If, if what they're saying is, yeah, the trouble in this organization is people are fat and happy, don't see the big change coming down the road, and are going to, you know, happily go over the cliff with smiles on their faces. You know, we need a wake-up call, not a lullaby. So you think so trying to understand what's the value proposition well, and in, I think in, I think that's a really yeah that, that's such um an opposite statement to make really particularly where we sit today you know we're we're fast approaching freedom day in the UK and freedom day signals to organizations up and down the land that staff can now be brought back into their places of work regardless of personal anxieties or concerns over the continued spread of the virus and and I think this you know in in the United States already they're foretelling of the great resignation which is that after this this landmark event that has arguably caused all of us uh, to introspect and 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 ponder perhaps a little bit more deeply the meaning of life and 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 in fact mortality you know um, what kind of work lives do we want to lead so it's going to be really interesting to see how organisations and their leaders show up and sense this shift in value systems that you're. You're relate, you know, you're pertaining to there because I see it. I think we are literally at this precipice where numerous organisations could fall off the edge of that cliff if they don't get the value piece right with authenticity yep. imminently. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd be fascinated to see what happens next because here's my my cynical view. Um, 
you know, I've, I know lots of people, as probably you do, who are having a debate about work-life balance, which is now very live because you think, okay, what do I want from life? Maybe I should do four days a week and live on the coast and I can, you know, I can do everything on, on, uh, online and I can basically phone in my work and that would be better for me. Uh, and if I move out of London, I've still got my London salary, so I've got a you know, super-weighted salary for living by the coast, and it will be great. And then the, the, the slightly cynical side of me says, yeah, hang on, what's the Glaswegian finance director doing? He is looking at cutting back his property portfolio, reducing the rent, and starting to say to himself, well, hang on, if, if work can go anywhere, why don't I export the work to the west coast of Ireland where they're very well educated and, and speaking English. And then I'll drop, I'll have a national salary. No matter where you live, you won't be any London waiting. So you know, the, they will start looking for what is the financial advantage of all this. So I think you are going to have, it's not going to be, do you want, I mean, the debate about coming back or not is, you know, it's a bank saying, we need you back in because that's how we learn. And that's how we, we you know, we, we train you almost by osmosis. Others are saying, no, actually, why don't you stay away and we will have uh, a, a, a hot desk in your neighborhood you can check into that will have nice coffee for you. So I was, I was saying that you know, my daughters are arguing, you know, people have to be attracted back to the office. I think it depends what sector you're in. If you're, if you're a bus driver, you're going to be driving the bus. If you're going to be a builder, you're going to be on site. Some sectors will have the, 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 the choice. And I think it'll be as much, there'll be a debate going on inside organizations between the HR people and the finance people, uh, uh, you know, as there is between Boris and the Treasury, you know, a debate going on about what's the best balance. And I think that's what, you know, you asked about is the value of communications here. And I think at times like this, it is. It's trying to work out, hang on, how do we keep people engaged? How do we explain what we're doing? Uh, how do we try and anticipate uh, what's the best balance of values and financial payoff we can get? So I think all that debate that's going on, I think you're right, is much more of a shift than we've seen. So if I look at 2007, and we have, you know, we're all running scared of the financial collapse, I don't think that was as fundamental a shift as we're seeing now, which has thrown everything up in the air. Technology enables you to to work elsewhere. There were four things, you know, that I, we said were important to employees, and I think this is really important for the future. Four things you want as an employee that we, we got from looking at all the research we were doing. Uh, you want to work for a company that you think is successful, doing the right thing, leading in its field. You're proud to work for. I think you want an idea about a customer. We're doing something which is useful, and customers give us great feedback, and we're very happy. But two, the two more important ones today are cause. I want to feel that I'm not just making widgets. I'm making a difference to the world. And I think that has increased hugely in, in the last 20 years. It was a nice-to-have you know, 20 years ago. It's a must-have now, I think. And the fourth one is community. And I think community is the thing that the Glaswegian finance director will neglect. So if you're working, you, you're working on the coast and you're going into a, a, you know, a we work space, they are going to be making community. They're going to be putting on beer nights, games they'll be doing you know bar football they'll be watching the football together they will create a community for them so the we works of the world will be owning community and i think community is a vital part of the job 
if you look at how matrix organizations work, they work through influence and goodwill. So you, the reason someone would do uh, uh, help you, even though you're not their line boss, is they like you. How do they like you? They have contact with you. We've seen time and again trust is a big issue. The, 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 the equation we've seen almost every survey we've, survey we've done is where you don't have contact with someone, they say, do you know this department? They say, no, we never, we never have contact with them. Do, do you know what they do? Vaguely. Are they any good at it? No. So it's, well, hang on, you don't know what they do, but you know they're bad at it. So if you have contact and familiarity, familiarity breeds trust. Trust drives collaboration. So the idea about community and relationship and trust is, is actually vital to making uh, you know, a matrix organization work. And I think that's one of the debates that communicators are well-placed to have if they can, if they can keep the, you know, the, 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 their binocular vision of values and people and business and payoff and how those two best balance. Yeah, that's definitely the opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. I was going to ask, looking at this opportunity and, and building the sense of community, let's look back to internal communicators and maybe listen to this thinking, okay, well, what do I have to do? And in particular, what, what are the consistent skills and approaches that communicators need to take? So looking back at the past, which aspects of the past do you still see being intrinsic to the future? What's the core, if you like, that's going to be the same when it comes to internal comms? Well, let me come back to that because, you know, Having spent lots and lots of time with internal communicators and training them, I can, and one of the constant reactions is, yeah, that's okay for you to say. That's okay for you. Meanwhile, I've got someone coming in the door, you know, giving me a kick and saying, get this out the door. So I'd like to come back to the, the dilemmas we face. I think the, 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 basic, um, the skills are still always going to be important, and I think will become more important. One is helping leaders or your internal clients crystallize their thinking. Uh, Kat was saying, you know, what's, what's recognition of the value of internal communication? I think one of the big problems we've got is leaders think that at this generation, they think it is important. They just don't know what it is. So they have their own view of it, and they come in the door and say, I've done the thinking, basically. I just need you to do the execution. And when they tell you what the thinking is, you think, oh, my God, <laughs> they really haven't thought this thing through. And they've really, you know, they, they are... You know, they think if we simply tell people we need to cut costs, they will happily jump out the windows and you know, and resign. It's sometimes so crystallizing the thinking. And crystallizing the thinking is when you say to a leader, what is it you want people to do? So the question we used to do in, tra in training people was, what behavior do you want from them? You're going to pay us to train. Then you can observe, did they do it? In communication, we do a lot of stuff in hope. If we tell them, they will do it. And, and since most people think they're doing a great job, they simply car carry on. So crystallizing thinking, what exactly um, do you want people to do? When the language is usually buy in, be agile, uh, act as though they're in a startup, you think, yeah, yeah, what? You know, if, you say, if you get people to complain, what are they not doing? They say, well, they're not being agile, I'll tell you that. It's, you know, they, they can give you examples of what people are not doing. So crystallizing thinking, making them think first. Second bit, I think, is articulating the message, which is great. We now know what we want to do. How do we talk to them in a way that helps engage them in this? And you know, we said this before, which is you know, certainly in the UK, we tend to use long Latin management speak words, which everyone trades but few people understand. 
uh, and it's just one up from cliches. But you know, but managers tend to use them because they sound posh. So trying to get back to clarity, clarity motivates. I cannot shift the paradigm, but you know, I but I I can speed up the rate at which I'm turning out tea bags. Uh, so articulate the message. I think understanding the audiences, which is how do people respond? What will they think? What's the classic? And we're going to have far more segmented audiences. People are identifying differently. You know, they're not simply you know grade one in the personnel department. They've got a raft of ways of of identifying which we're going to have to segment for ourselves and talk about how different people in different ways are going to hear things differently and interpret them differently so understand the audiences i think is is pretty much neglected i've talked about coaching leaders i think that's vital and i think the one thing to be careful of is not to get sucked into the worship of communication channels when when, uh, you know when i was reflecting back thinking hang on we didn't have email we didn't have powerpoint um we did have a we did we did have a bell and a town crier, which we would use for most of our communication. But you know, there's lots more channels now, and it's and historically, communicators have battened on to new channels, and leaders have said, "Well, that sounds good. Can we have one?" And we've all been focused on the vehicle, not the destination. So I think those cores are the ones that remain the same. But I just want to go back to the, the question of yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Um, you know, if you're a junior communicator and someone comes in the door and says, get this out, and you say, can I stop you there for a moment? I feel that I should be helping you be a, a, a change agent for this culture. You're not going to get, you know, you're going to get short shrift. When we train communicators, I keep saying, when I have a plumber come in and the, there's water spurting out of a pipe, I don't want the plumber to introduce himself as a water engineer and start talking about you know, hydraulics. I'm to fix it. But once he's fixed it, he then says, just tell you, you know, we, I had a plumber, came in, fixed it, and then said, as I was re- heaving my sigh of relief, said, you want to watch out because you've got a Victorian house with lots of external pipes, and I know you've got a big garden that you need to water. Why don't you look at lagging the pipes and re-diverting water into the garden? And I thought, God, that's a great idea. But it's only a great idea once you've done the in- transaction. But... The moral is you can always add an, an add-on that the plumber who fixes and leaves has missed an opportunity. As communicators, we can get out the door, then you can say, but next time, if we have you know, a bit of notice, we can craft this, we can make sure it gets there, we can have greater impact. So you don't have to be a major strategist to, to improve the permission you got to be seen as more valuable and to work with your internal clients. I think that's fascinating stuff there, Bill, I'm just listening to. And I think there is, I think we do cling on to, you know, we talk about internal communication is, is, a, is a strategic management function. That's what, and it's sort of sometimes, but what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And it can be a sort of a word that sort of overtakes us as then kind of that's the echelons of where you're trying to get to. I just, you know, you talked about so much stuff around our skills and what's really important and those trends and particularly picking up on things like, you know, values and community and coaching and, and planning. 
planning. And obviously, in this series, we're talking a lot about the future of work. And Kat, you might have some views on this as well from, you know, the trends towards we talk about agile working, we talk about distributive working, we talk about actually what is an employee of the future? Mm -hmm. Is is the PAYE employee or design of an organisation actually how, how we're going to work? What is the contract of good work in the future? What does that mean? Who do we want to work for? And and and, and we want this series, I think, to to, to think and a lot forward. And I think just listening to that as well is one of the things that I concern myself with. We're in a real, we've been in a real kind of difficult challenge, and we're trying to think very immediate in terms of, well, let's get back to the office, let's go here, or or actually, no, we just need technology. If we just switch on all these wonderful, shiny things that do all these things for us, it will solve all those problems. But what we're going through is quite a systemic shift in, in, in certain views, perceptions, values, morality, purpose. So I guess, you know, when we take all that into account and those trends, I think one of the things I'm just intrigued to hear your view on is, what do we think actually is the biggest threat to, to how we communicate at work in that future scenario that if we run out things too quickly, we're going to lose something that's so substantially important in our creating those kinds of great organizations that do all the things that keep the Glaswegian finance director happy <laughs> and keep everyone else happy? I think it is that thing about community and relationship. Kat mentioned earlier before we started about how work is changing. And you know, when I when I talk to friends who are going to go and live on the coast and dial in their work, <clears throat> we're kind of returning to cottage industry, where you've got distributed working was what we started on in before the industrial revolution, before you gathered everyone together. Uh, I think the relationship side is you've got to want to work with people, you've got to want to do your best. What you don't want is a workforce who are doing nine to five, you know, dialing it in. Uh, you're going to have the Glaswegian finance director investing in software for monitoring people. So you're going to have people who resent being monitored. You're going to have people who want to work in the evenings uh, and resist the introduction of, like the French, saying you can't have emails after five o'clock, which is tricky if you're dealing with the states. So, uh, so I, I think the relationship side, uh, almost the social engineering side, which is how do we create goodwill towards each other and the willingness to understand each other. So, you know, whenever whenever we get departments together who've been having a spat, you rapidly discover that when they learn about each other, there's a kind of, oh, I, yeah, I understand now. I can see there's a, quote, process failure. But what they're actually doing is forgiving the guy on the other side and just say, okay, let you off. And that's all relationship. And uh, my fear is that we will shift towards helped by employees. Say, great, this is great. We we will just dial it in, you know. We can have a, a, a better life. I think we'll rapidly start discovering what we lose. So the argument about let's get, get people back to back to the office is you do learn. There, there's certain kind, you know. When I learned my trade by going out with my boss and observing what he was doing, it, it wasn't formally trained. So the um, there's a thing called imp- implicit knowledge, and that is shared, uh, and you can't put that in the back. Uh, when I think about you know, everyone who's happy mm. to, to work from home, I think of the you know the poor twenty somethings sitting in their shared flat on their bed with no sitting room because that's been rented out on their pillow with a laptop. And when I think of the managers buying software to monitor them, I think right, will we be monitoring the senior managers in their Tuscan villas you know, on court on their Zoom calls? I doubt it. 
So I think that the desire to, uh, we were trained, there was uh, Theory X managers and Theory Y managers. I think Theory X is, they fundamentally believe people can be trusted, that will do their best. Theory Y tend to be, nope, you've got to keep on top of people and invest in spyware to make sure they don't rip you off. And my worry is that we're going to shift towards, because of both sides, shift towards a more transactional way of working in which our need for community and relationship will be diverse elsewhere. And then the, the, the second great danger is channels. Mm. I think let's go, let's go, let's get some more channels and more yeah. platforms and yeah, yeah, it'll all be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I, I have to say, having, having spent the first part of my career helping build the mobile phone networks upon which we're now so reliant, um, I kind of feel like these channels are the the, the one thing that erode that authentic um, in person communication, which is which is absolutely vital um, to community building. When I think about the future of work, the, the 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 things that spring to mind for me are: I think we're on the cusp of mass career customization and work fragmentation. Where, to your point about audience, Bill. Um, every single contributor within an organization has got a unique set of um, work circumstances, work obligations, and work style preferences. And I think what's really interesting is that we're still in the zone of doing a one-size-fits-all, send out a survey monkey questionnaire to see what everybody thinks, Take, take a look at that, have a look at, you know, we've surveyed everybody now, we've asked them what they think, and we're going to go back into the office three days a week, which, of course, isn't what everybody thought, because firstly, that survey only scrapes at the tiniest top layer of information gathering. There's a whole bunch of qualitative insight underneath that that you miss when you when you forego the opportunity to engage in a person-to-person exchange. Um and I think, you know, we're, we're, we're overly reliant on these uh, digital tools, platforms, etc., that bluntly provide us with the minutest of sound bites. But to your point, how do you engage a fragmented uh, team of individuals who are all working in different places at different times of day, doing different things? How do you create an aligned strategy and gain a general consensus through a very disparate set of individuals in pursuit of a shared goal and there's something I think you you said um you said something about knowledge and um was it implicit knowledge yeah I think there's a there's a whole bunch of how we come together as individuals in pursuit of a shared goal, which we've probably never even needed to put under the microscope before because we've never been in a situation where we have alternative tools that are much easier and faster. But if we don't explore the fundamentals of how we come together to share and build, I think we're fairly scuppered. Yeah, I think, I think we are going to have fragmentation. Because as you say, I think I like to talk about micro customization because it's like you just start saying, well, hang on, I would like to, I've got to take, you know, my, my kids to school. 
So I don't want to start work till 10, but I'm happy to work in the evening. So we've already seen examples where people say, okay, can you get this back to me? And you say, well, I can't back to the end of play because I've got to go and pick up the kids from nursery. So I'll get, I'll get it back to you. I'll do it tonight when I'm watching TV uh, and I'll send it to you. So it arrives to the other person and they say, well, I'm not going to get it back because I'm now get, going fishing you know, for two hours. Uh, I'll do it later on. And me or the client say, hang on, the one thing that technology has done for us is reduce the response time, which is what terrifies me. There's very little time for thinking. There's an automatic reaction. There are constant apologies from leaders in the newspaper saying, oops, I didn't know we'd offended that particular person, never thought about it, but we are deeply sorry. The response time is so short, and I think more, as more and more people say, well, actually, I would, you know, I'm going to keep amending my contract. I'm going to keep ch- changing the way I do things. There's less understanding of how it affects other people in the chain. And uh, I think without knowing, hang on, we've, we've got to have some common interest. We've got to be not just, you know, plowing our own furrow, but uh, understanding each other, you know, looking out for each other, willing to do something, get it to me early rather than later. Without the, you know, we are in a relationship, we are making commitments to each other. I think you just end up, you know, like a cottage industry where you think, right, I'm at my loom for the day. I'll make my piece of tweed. And the guy will come around and pick it up at the end of the day. And I don't know what happens after that. I think the danger is fragmentation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cheered us up. I think, I'm, yeah, I agree. I, 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 do, I do feel like we're walking into a device. I know, it's cheery, isn't it? Yeah. But the future is great. We have an opportunity. Let's, you know, maybe we'll end with that sense of buoyance <laughs> as well as we come to it. But, well, well, can I end? You know, we have a, a rich history. We have those skills. We've got that kind of clarity. The, yes, please do, Bill. I was going to say that the, the big shift, uh, when Dom was asking about changes, the big shift was when you suddenly got a generation of heads of internal communication who were having the arguments themselves with their leaders. And they were basically saying, great, come along and help me do this. And they had aspirations and ambitions, and the, and they were the ones pushing this up the agenda, which which wasn't easy. So I think, we, I think for me, the issue is less about skills and more about attitude and aspiration, because I've seen loads of communicators who think, oh, sure, I've got to go and have this difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? I think I'll just keep knocking stuff out of the channels. It's a lot easier, and maybe I can go live on the coast and, uh, the, uh, and have my London waiting. I, I, my, here's my gypsy's warning. What we've seen every time is as an area of importance comes up, as the leaders keep looking for who's going to help, what, traditionally they have not looked to internal communicators. They've looked to consultants, uh, which I, I, I'm grateful for, or they've looked for change management, or they, they've looked for, you know, the, the, the IT project has bought in its own communicators. Uh, if you don't step up into, the, into that area, someone else will take it, and you will be left with all the low value, you know, my 18th draft of the chief executive's Christmas letter, which is driving me mad, unless, of course, you're living by the coast and have your own business and side hustle knocking out chief executive's Christmas letters, and that may suit you. But I think otherwise, you do have to have a bit of steel to say, right, I'm going to step up and step into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's really true, Bell. And, you know, and in my job, obviously, I speak to, you know, many internal comms and members and people in this practice. And, you know, we've been growing. And I think there's a real dialogue to professionals. I think there's a real, there's a real thirst to, to step up 
to seize an opportunity. And I think there is a real, real push coming. And but we, but there is a challenge around confidence um, to have that and to take that forward. But I think there is a, a certainly. I feel in since my time of being at the IOIC, I've certainly feel that that shift growing. Whether I'm sort of hiding behind that 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 fear and just talking about my frustrations to, I'm going to try and mm-hmm. take that and actually have a really challenging conversation but but then at least I feel like that's and I think maybe that's a that rise of values and that values us as a, as a profession um and I think I have seen that shift and um but I, you know hopefully that shift will continue because there is this moment in time and there is an opportunity yep. um for us as a skill set when it comes down to the things that you've talked about from relationship to community to human potential to you know leadership coaching that we we, we can we can do that for them there is investing I think in that side of things I don't know Dom and Kat as we, we finish this episode if you have any other sort of similar uh, reflections on, on the future uh, no I think it'd be interesting to see after this conversation Jane when you look at the membership of the IYC mm-hmm. how many actually have shifted to the coast because I think it make it sound very very attractive <laughs> I'm, I'm to to new regions <laughs> <laughs> well brilliant thank you so much uh bill for your time today i think that's a fascinating conversation and like i say lots to think about lots to capitalize on and uh, and lots of opportunity out there but let's not forget at the heart of it the importance of relationship and the importance of community that's going to be really ostensibly valuable as we drive to the whatever that future Mm -hmm. of work may or may not look like well thanks for inviting me it's been a great conversation This podcast has been brought to you today by the Institute of Internal Communication and is produced by Jessica Williams and Shabi Tolu Ogun Polu.